This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Casper.com. Casper offers an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Filmcast and using promo code Filmcast. That's $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash Filmcast and using promo code Filmcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware. Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, she's the managing editor of SlashFilm.com, Angie Han. Welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Angie, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Dave? Uh, I'm doing well. I think I'm uh, very excited to have you on today, because oh, uh, over and over again, listeners have repeatedly praised... Your willingness to call me out on my bullshit during the Slash Filmcast. <laughs> so uh, I think people will really enjoy this episode. So what are we doing here this week, guys? I mean, I kind of feel like uh, <laughs> that doesn't give enough credit to how much Devendra and I call you out on your yeah, bullshit. Seriously. Uh, I mean, yeah, on just, a daily basis. Let me, let, me just say, let me just say, Dave, there's enough of your bullshit to go around. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Well, Jeff, I was going to wish you a happy birthday, but I take it all back. Uh, but seriously, though, Jeff, happy birthday. It was your Thank birthday you. this week, right? Yesterday. Uh, yeah. And uh, we, so what we're going to do here on the Slash Filmcast today, we've got a few emails to go over. You can always email us at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. You can uh, also find more of our episodes at slashfilmcast.com. After we go over emails, we're going to review Jason Bourne. And then we're going to have an After Dark where we're going to talk about Stranger Things in more detail because uh, that's something that a lot of people are interested in and we've heard so many requests. Uh, so we're going to dive into a spoiler-filled review of Stranger Things. We've all seen every episode at this point. Uh, so you can look forward to that after our Jason Bourne review today. But let's start with emails. Uh, again, you can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, and this email, I thought, is just so fascinating because I don't think there's a good answer, and I really want to hear what you guys have to say about this. Uh, usually, we don't take anonymous emails. Uh, you, you usually ask you to write in with your name and where you're from, but for obvious reasons. that I, I think they're going to become pretty obvious pretty quickly, guys. <laughs> this one we will allow as anonymous. So this, okay. uh, this listener writes in to slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Hello, Slash Filmcast. I'm a longtime listener, and I really appreciate your show. I'm not much for writing into a show, but recently I came across something interesting. I watch a lot of new movies by checking them out from the public library. A few months ago, I noticed that a copy of Sicario had the digital download code paper in the DVD box. I thought that was strange and decided to see if it could still be redeemed. It worked. As time went on, I found a few more. So far, I've added The Last Witch Hunter, Sicario, Eddie the Eagle, Kung Fu Panda 3, and Deadpool to my digital collection. It's rare that I come across them. Most of the time, libraries have rental discs, quote-unquote, that wouldn't have a code. Also, I'm not sure why they would put the code in the DVD case. But my question for you guys is, would you redeem the code, or would you consider it stealing? I'm not sure how I feel about it. The library isn't going to use it. What would you guys do... For real. Uh, also, the only code I found that didn't work was for the movie Get a Job with Miles Teller. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, yeah, so, that's because uh, if, you're a, if you're a librarian, 
<laughs> you're definitely looking into getting a job. Oh, <laughs> also, the only oh. copy of that movie ever printed. That, that so. is that is less an indictment of the skill of librarians and more about the <laughs> library industry as a whole, right, Jeff? Yeah. No, I I, I have wonderful <laughs> librarian friends. Actually, several. In fact, I'm related. To, I'm related to a librarian. Uh, so I, I I have a lot of love. That was just a bad joke. All right. So Jeff, you have librarians in the family. Uh, so this is a personal question for you. What do you think of this question? Digital codes in the DVD case that you find at the library. Here's fair, my knee jerk. fair game or not. My knee jerk reaction to this was. A, I would never do that. Uh, and B, and B, it's a little scummy to do that. It's a little. Uh, it feels a little wrong in my head. And then I thought about it more and more. Yeah. And I said, okay, so what's the reason you wouldn't do this? Exactly. Right. It's because, a victimless crime. Yeah. Right? It's a well, victimless it's, crime. It is a victimless crime, but it's also like, who are you leaving that code for? Right. You know, right. there, there, there is. Actually, no use for that code. There is no legitimate use for that code. There's no digital library function. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, library in the library that is digital only. So it's not like the library is going to use it. And so if I left it in there and some other for some other person, they would be just as morally corrupt if they did it. So if we all just continue to leave the code unused. <laughs> no one uses it, and then it goes unused. So I kind of feel like I turned a corner on my opinion after some some <laughs> contemplation, and I think that first come first serve. I guess. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I, I, I could see the moral uh, dilemma here, though, because uh, this person anonymously wrote us a very long email about <laughs> like this crisis he's living through, and like anything that compels you to do that. You know, that's it's gnawing on your soul a little bit. Um, there well, are ways, like even if you do that, though, right? You could you could volunteer at your library. You can give back, basically. Right. I, would, I would suggest that. Basically, well, also, redeeming a code, volunteer, yes. like it obligates exactly. you to volunteer at the library. Give back. Well. <laughs> I also feel like there's a difference between redeeming the code and then going. Hey, I bet there's lots of these. <laughs> redeeming all of the codes, right? Because. Yes. He's Redeeming deep. It. He's deep into this. Right. Now he's, he's kind of he figured out something. And now it feels like he's hogging all the codes rather right. than spreading the wealth a little right, bit. Right. So, so, okay. So, Jeff, I totally had the same emotional journey as you, right? In the sense that I once heard an episode of Judge John Hodgman, uh, which is a great show where, like, couples or friends go on the show and Judge John Hodgman adjudicates uh, debates or you know uh, disputes between them, right. and one of the disputes was this is a husband and wife, and the husband would borrow books from the library and then dog ear the corners to keep his place. Oh, and the question was not, whether that's okay or not. not okay. And of course, it's not okay. It's like the campground theory, you know, like you leave it in better condition than when you found it. You can't borrow books and then leave them in worse condition. Right. You know, you can't destroy pages in books from the library. That's horrible. Agreed. So when I first read this email, my immediate reaction was, well, you must leave it in the same condition that you found it in, uh, which would be with an unredeemed code. Uh, but then, like you said, Jeff, I went through the whole same logic. Like, wait, who, like, who is going to benefit if you leave it there? It's not like a public good that everyone can then share. That being said, I think I agree with your conclusion that we might conceive of these <laughs> codes as kind of like an Easter egg bonus for random people that maybe it chooses you one day when you borrow Kung Fu sure. Panda 3 from the library, and therefore you shouldn't just go around redeeming all the codes. 
You know, maybe it's okay to redeem a code if you happen upon one, but you shouldn't try to systematically remove right. them all because then other people could redeem those other random codes. Right, right. I kind of feel like as I, I kind of feel like it's it's wrong to do because you know the library paid for the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, so they're the ones that own that digital copy. Right. Uh, but at the same time, as far as like things that are wrong go, this is like pretty pretty mild. Like yeah. I can't, yeah. like I mean, like I like I would if someone said like you know is it right for me to just like download this digital copy that I didn't pay for and be like, well, that seems wrong. But as you guys pointed out, that's not like anyone else is really using it. So I, I can't imagine like fighting with someone and be like, that's a horrible thing. You're a terrible yeah. person. Um, it, I personally, I feel like I personally wouldn't do it because I kind of feel like if anything, like I would, I don't know, I'm in a position to buy these things if I want them. So I'd be like, if anything, I should just leave it for the next person who <laughs> needs to desperately own get a job but can't afford get a job because they don't have a job i don't know if you guys are prepared for the next level of moral crisis which is how many people have we just given the idea to to go to their library and see how many codes they can find here's actually what i would say are we complicit in the stealing of codes across across the nation i blame anonymous (laughs) here's what i would say uh about the code situation is uh, it's very likely that your librarian just doesn't know what ultraviolet is, right? right. And if there is right. a viewing room or a TV or something like that, maybe well, now who's uh, casting aspersions on librarians? Dave, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that maybe your course of action is not to uh, hoard all the codes, but rather to go to your librarian and say, "Hey, did you know that this is a digital copy that you, the library, owns?" Let's uh, let's redeem this code on your yeah. uh, PlayStation let's 4. Let's redeem it together. Let's redeem yeah. it together on this PlayStation 4 you have hooked up to uh, to this TV. What libraries have you been to, Dave? Yeah, also, it would take like 15 library. steps to redeem the code anyway, so it yeah. might be more trouble than it's worth. But, you know, I, I guess I would say, I, I don't know that there's an obligation, yeah. but my suggestion would be try and figure out a way for the library to redeem the code. Because I have a feeling the library actually uh, probably thinks this is uh, somebody wants to watch this movie on their computer, they just type this in and anybody could do it, but they have to borrow it to, uh, to actually... They may not know it's a one-time use thing. It's a one-time use, yeah. yeah. How about so, this? Why, do, why doesn't this person just you know go to the library and explain the situation to them, wait a couple weeks, and if nothing happens, clearly the library doesn't care to claim them. Or yeah, at least go. even remove the papers from the DVDs so that they can claim them later. <laughs> Yeah, I think there and I feel like this person would feel like less guilty about it and not have to write long letters into podcasts, right. you know, chronicling their moral dilemmas. I think that that the the moral crisis comes from the the step between hey, I rented a movie I wanted to watch. Oh my gosh, there's a code in it. Uh, oh wow, that's cool. To I'm going to now go to the library and get as many movies as I can because there might be codes in them. I think that's that yeah. that step is the I'm going to take advantage of the system step that I think leads to a little guilt. Mm. Well, you know, and Jeff, as a great 1990s uh, gaming property says, uh, got to catch them all. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's end of conversation. So, yeah, you can understand the, the motivation behind that. In any case... It, it's funny that our, our whole conversation about this began with a discussion about how screwed the library system is. Uh, <laughs> and meanwhile, it's a discussion of like screwing the library system sort of out of a digital copy. Uh, what I suggested is uh, libraries need help. They actually do need help. So if you if you have skills, if you, if you can just like go there and help teach a course or something to some kids, help some kids out. 
get some free, you know, more free movies while you're at it. And uh, maybe eventually, you know, when you're in a place to buy more movies, buy more shit. Yeah. You'll but I do pl- think it's actually kind of great that this person mm-hmm. utilizes the public library. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. Uh, you'll be. But- it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. No, There's no, ama- it's an amazing thing, a, a library. It's an amazing thing that we as a society have decided that it's important enough to have a repository of knowledge and entertainment that we as a public good we have decided it's almost like well i'm not going to go there politically but i'll say <laughs> i'll say it is a magical thing and i think that people far too few people take advantage of it especially in this technological age where you know we can download things to our devices and we can buy things and we it, it dispo, everything's so disposable mm-hmm. i was raised going to the library and getting a book and treasuring that and finishing it before my due date and all that stuff and i think that that's there's something wonderful about that that's great i love i love like- the communal aspect of the library for sure it sounds like someone feels a little guilty about his jokes that he made about librarians at the top of the show <laughs> and is now desperately trying to make up for it. Yeah, yeah that's true. I, I do. That's right. I librarians that's right. are wonderful people. <laughs> you know, you made a jo- uh, you you made a reference to something political that you didn't want to mention, Jeff, uh, and I'm afraid that you know I, I got to bring this up today. We're not going to do like a film news segment today, but. I do feel the need to uh, address something that happened this week, and Angie, maybe you can back me up on this a little bit. Oh, no, what? Uh, well, I mean, this week I saw a video featuring a white man trying to keep out aliens through the use of a huge wall. But enough about the Republican National Convention, guys. Let's talk about the Great Wall movie trailer that debuted this week starring Matt Damon. And this is a movie trailer that... Oh, talks- goes the dynamite! <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why were you watching the Republican convention this week? Okay. You know what, Angie? You kept. I was watching (laughs) it on on VOD. I was watching it on VOD, okay? Anyway. Bullshit called. (laughs) So there's this trailer called The Great Wall, for this movie called The Great Wall, and it's directed by Zhang Yimou, and it stars Matt Damon, who is also the star of the movie you're reviewing today, uh, Jason Bourne. And it caused quite a bit of an uproar because. It, like, <laughs> someone tweeted out when this trailer debuted, like, I can't wait for Dave Chen's reaction to this because it's going to make his head explode. Uh, it didn't quite have that effect, but firstly, I'll just say as a trailer, the movie looks horrible. Like, it, it's not a well-put-together trailer. But then a lot of people were confused as to, like, why in a movie that theoretically is finally allowing Chinese people to take center stage, do you have a white man needing to come and save them? Why does that person appear to speak with an American accent when America literally didn't exist uh, at that time in history? Uh, and all these other questions. My reaction to it was, rather than raise a huge think about it, I, I guess I didn't want to uh, judge based on the trailer because maybe uh, Matt Damon just has a cameo in the film, you know? <laughs> maybe he's only in it for like 30 seconds and uh, this is just like a shrewd marketing he's, move. I like you know? he lost. Here. At one point he just lost and he's like, <laughs> hey! <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I know a lot of people were super... I mean, it, was, it was trending on Twitter and Facebook that like uh, prominent uh, Asian celebrities really spoke out against this trailer, uh, I'm willing to wait until the movie comes out before right, right. crapping all over it. Uh, but Angie thought I'd ask if you had any reaction as a fellow Asian person. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I don't know what, like, 
they're clearly putting him front and center and he's the A-list star. So like, as you said, maybe it's a smaller role and they're just playing up his role for marketing purposes. But at the same time, I think it says something that while they were figuring out how to market this movie, they were like, oh yeah, no, let's totally have a movie set in ancient China and promote the hell out of Matt Damon and this will be completely fine and nobody will mind. Like, I feel like that already says something. I agree. And it is uh, a bit dispiriting and uh, representative of a lot of the problems that we uh, see today. Go ahead. To bring things back to uh, to Project Greenlight, the last season, right, <laughs> where he got he got on that tiff oh, about, yeah. like, oh, yeah, it, it, you know what? It's, it's not about diversity. you got to hire the best person for the job. <laughs> I think clearly here they hired the best person for the job to play a soldier in China <laughs> a thousand years ago. Clearly that's what happened. I mean, didn't he also didn't he also do that thing where uh, I guess like Effie Brown was like saying, "Oh, we should yeah. have more filmmakers of color," and he's like, "No, no, no. Where you want diversity is like you know in exactly. front of like in front of the camera." So you know, then he went and got himself cast in in the Great Wall. <laughs> he's clearly living up to his. Work. He's 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 walking the walk, guys. Yeah. Anyway, uh, again, this is a movie that I I'm really eager to rip into and, and shred to pieces but i'm right, gonna right. try not to do that until the movie itself actually comes out uh, i think you can so. criticize the marketing and be annoyed <laughs> as hell that they were like no one's gonna be offended by this everyone's gonna be so excited that mad damon is the hero of a movie set in china yeah yeah i don't know guys <laughs> you want, if you want a movie about a good wall uh you don't get matt damon but you get it. You want a movie about a Great Wall? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You get, I was wondering you get where the hell that was going. <laughs> but it's what you got to do. Uh, it is funny though, because like the trailer looks terrible, and everything about this movie sounds awful. But it's directed by Zhang Yimou, guys. Like, yeah, come who, on, super talented director. Yeah. he did what the Olympic uh, opening ceremonies for China. He did all, Hero. All of that. Yeah, amazing visualist. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean. It looks like a very stupid action film. I, the, the poster. I'm, I'm really wondering, yeah, what is happening to Zhang Yimou right now? Because he's become sort of like the country's premier uh, director. He's he's like the guy creating the vision of like China right now. It's very strange. The poster says, 1,700 years to build, 5,500 miles long. What were they trying to keep out? And Ooh, then it I says... Hope- Matt Damon. And it says Matt Damon. <laughs> the Great Wall, like right underneath it. The twist uh, is actually they built it to keep Matt Damon out. <laughs> that, that would is... be good because I actually thought the answer was Mongolians, but what do I know? Mm. Uh, anyway, apparently the real answer is aliens. So we're going to find that Matt out. Matt Damon is the alien and they are trying to keep him out, you guys. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Think of how, alien. guys, how silly will you feel? If that is, in fact, true, and everyone's really? raising a big ruckus about it, that's why I don't want to insert foot in mouth yet. Let's wait until the movie comes out. So let's uh, read another email here at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, this one comes in from Gavin from Sydney, Australia, uh, who is apparently a meditator. And Gavin writes in, from a meditator's perspective, I noticed that what we feed our minds through visual stimuli causes impressions on the mind and affects the way we feel for long periods of time. The impressions build up in the mind and cause a collage of thoughts and images that affect our ability to stay in the present moment, which is where reality lies. I won't go in too much about this, 
as it deserves more time than we have. But in relation to having kids, I've noticed that since having mine, I don't watch anything to do with missing children, violence against children, or anything too negative or intense. When you have kids, the game changes. Something inside wants to look for positivity and the innocence, the sheer wonder that is the energy of a child. Jeff, I'm sure you will notice this. It's quite profound and an example of one of the magical gifts that children bring to help teach and expand our consciousness. That email comes from Gavin from Sydney, Australia. I guess uh, my question for Jeff is, you know, you're about to have a kid, and Mm -hmm. uh, we'll have more questions about this after you have one. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, like as you're thinking, like have you started to have some of these feelings that Gavin is talking about where you're you're starting to look at certain forms of media in a different way, uh, like stuff with children like really bothers you? Has Has it started to happen yet for you? No, no, it has not. Um, I'm so, I certainly I feel like I'm a little more emotional than usual, and you guys know I'm already an emotional guy. So um, <laughs> I, I, I expect I expect there will be some change in how I perceive the world, but I I guess I can't you know I can't predict how I'll be affected. But I I tend to be a little skeptical that it is such a massive change to one's tastes and personality. I I, I suspect that it has more to do with who we are as individuals beforehand mm-hmm. uh, and that things get a little more important or a little little more amplified and we feel a little more protective, etc. cetera. Uh, I certainly have been, uh, I think, more affected by world events lately. Right. Because you realize it's like setting the stage for your, your child's life, basically. Yeah, and, and the, the, uh, the responsibility of bringing another human being into, uh, you know, a, a situation, you feel a little more... You feel a little more tied to making sure that that situation isn't <laughs> bad. So, <laughs> right. But I don't. I don't know. Media, the media side. I, I tend to feel like I. I tend to feel like one of those people that likes to be challenged by media. So, uh, I don't know if that will change. If I'll just sort of, pre- yeah. you know, prefer to be reassured. I don't think that will. I don't. I don't anticipate that change in myself, but we'll see. All right. Yeah. I, I kind of just wanted to get you on the record now, so that if it changes, uh, we can kind of witness it here on the slash filmcast. So yeah. Sure. The the gauntlet has been thrown in that in that front. Uh, have you decided what your child's media habits are going to be? Like. Uh, oh, I'm going to be a massive hypocrite. <laughs> uh, I am going to be. I'm. I am definitely going to severely limit screen time uh, for my child and. Um, Especially during the first few years of life, I I, I really believe strongly that uh, screens will be not a part of my son's life for the, his early years. And he, every parent has to have different, you know, different plan. But for me, I will be uh, limiting my screen time to when he's not around. All right. Well, uh, I will be curious to see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, thanks for writing into SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. We read all the emails and uh, appreciate all of the thought that they provoke. Uh, and we're going to move on shortly to our review of uh, Jason Bourne. You know, this series is one that has a lot of fond memories. Devendra, I think this is one of the series that we bonded over when we sure, first met, yeah. right? Bourne mm-hmm. Identity, you were a huge advocate of that. Uh, and, yeah, uh, this whole series has been about, like, Jason Bourne's life and how... Uh, how disturbed he was by his past, uh, all the things that went on there. And when you are a secret agent like Jason Bourne, (laughs) Mm -hmm. who kills people for a living, 
You know, you probably have a difficult time getting some sleep, guys. Probably. Yeah. All the lives <laughs> you've, you know, killed. All the lives you've taken, taken. you know, the lies you've with had to kill. With your own deal. hands. Yeah, with your own the other hands. Thing, the thing about Jason Bourne is that guy could kill a man with anything. Like, you could right. give it, you could walk into a room and all there is is, say, like, an extraordinarily comfortable and reasonably priced mattress and he could probably kill a man with that. He could probably kill a man with that. That's right, Jeff. So uh, on that note, you know, it's, it's such a coincidence that you mentioned that because Casper mm. Mattress is our sponsor this week. Uh, Casper delivers an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Uh, they combine springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning and possibly deadly – no, I'm just joking. <laughs> only deadly if you're Maybe Jason Bourne. Yes. Uh, sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Uh, in fact, Time Magazine named it as one of the best inventions of 2015. So wow. uh, not only does it have all of those accolades, but uh, it's also incredibly affordable. Uh, you get free shipping and returns to uh, the U.S. and Canada, and you can try it for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If, they don't, if you don't love it, they'll pick it up, refund you everything. Um, so we have a special offer for people who listen to the Slash Filmcast. Go to casper.com slash filmcast and use promo code filmcast to get $50 off any mattress purchase over there. That's casper.com slash filmcast and use promo code filmcast uh, to get $50 off any mattress purchase. And yeah, Jason Bourne does spend a lot of time not sleeping or having trouble mm-hmm. sleeping in the Bourne franchise. I yeah, really I... feel like this would have benefited him both as a sleep aid and possibly as an implement to murder someone. Maybe it's Did just guys... hard for him to get his mattress around the world because uh, he's always moving, you know? <laughs> That's have right. Have you guys ever uh, heard of the you know the Robert Ludlum novel, uh, The Bourne Somnambulance? Mm, no, uh, I haven't. That was, that was all about his sleep problems. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's. I bet you that Casper wasn't in that book, Jeff. No, it would be no Casper there because it's too easy to sleep and too comfortable and too reasonably priced. That's right. Because if they had had a Casper, the book would never have been written. Also, the book is kind of a fictional book, but still. Casper.com slash It's almost as if it already was never written. (laughs) Casper.com slash filmcast. Use promo code filmcast. Get $50 off your match purchase. I sleep on a Casper every night. It's awesome. It's great. uh, It's super convenient. Uh, And so if you're deciding to buy a mattress and you're worried about schlepping out to the store, uh, you know, spending too much, you know, needing to test a bunch of mattresses, guys, Casper makes it super easy. They already have a super comfortable mattress. Casper.com slash filmcast, promo code filmcast. $50 off your mattress purchase. Thanks to Casper for sponsoring us this week. Thanks also to people who donated to our show this week. Julian from London, David from Milford, New Hampshire, Antonio Castro, Trejo from Mexico, Mary from Brooklyn, New York, Tim from West Hollywood, California, Stephen from Prince Edward Island, Canada. Thanks also to subscribers Barrett Inskip and Christopher Blanchard for contributing at the rate of $2 per month. Really appreciate all the donations. You can go to the slashfilm.com, click on the slash filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page if you want to donate to the slash filmcast and help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show. So, can, can, can I say one more thing about Casper? Please, Dave? please. While it's on my mind, Casper, it's like a sleeper hold for yourself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. It'll put you out. Exactly. <laughs> it's like. Uh, okay, I, I can't. I thought the that. born somnobulance was pretty good, guys. I don't know if anybody <laughs> else thought that. I, just, I liked just, it. I thought it was all right. Yeah. 
I can't Friday top that. More interesting than this movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can't top that, guys. Thanks so much to Casper for sponsoring us again. Casper.com slash filmcast promo code filmcast for fifty dollars off. And thanks to everyone who donated to the slash filmcast this week. Let's get to our review of Jason Bourne. I know who I am. When we are finished with you, you'll no longer be yourself. everything doesn't mean you know everything tell me that was from the trailer for jason Bourne, the newest film by director paul greengrass it stars matt damon tommy lee jones alicia vikander vincent cassell julia stiles and riz ahmed i'm going to read the plot summary for jason Bourne from imdb the most dangerous former operative of the cia is drawn out of hiding to uncover hidden truths about his past uh, if that sounds like the plot summary for every other Bourne film, mm-hmm. you're not wrong. Yeah. You are not wrong. Uh, so we have a good representation on this podcast today of people who have loved the Jason Bourne franchise, uh, the films at least, and people who aren't super fans. Uh, Angie Han, managing editor of SlashFilm.com, uh, you are not too hot on the Jason Bourne series of films. Is that correct? make it sound like i didn't like it i've seen all three of the i've seen all four of them actually i've even seen the jeremy renner one and i've liked them all fine while i was watching them i just don't remember them that well and have no real desire to revisit them gotcha so, uh, whereas davindra and i uh how many times have you seen the born films davindra? many many times like, I, I think estimate. i watch these movies at least two or three times a year right so i, I mean yeah. i've seen them collectively probably you know, over a dozen times. Sure. Uh, yeah. Jeff Kanata, are you a fan? I am. I'm not that big of a fan. I'm not a <laughs> massive rewatcher of these movies, but I certainly enjoyed them and and think that they are uh, a top tier sort of mm-hmm. spy thriller uh, franchise. And this is th- these are they were revolutionary at the time. You know, this idea of sort of grounding a James Bond type character in the real world and making him feel as if all of the stuff he was doing could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also maintaining that sort of high-level spy espionage thing that seems a little grander than life, too. Uh, I loved, loved all three of these movies, and I couldn't believe that they managed to keep getting better and better throughout. Yeah, so. I was a huge fan as well, and uh, I rewatched them again. I've seen them many times. I've listened to the score literally hundreds of times. Like, Still among uh, the best scores. Yeah, I, I consider John Powell's score for Born Supremacy to be like an iconic score. Uh, so love that score, taking it with me on many runs out, out <laughs> outdoors. And what strikes me upon revisiting these films is they're very much films of their time. You know that mm-hmm. uh, these films came out during the Bush administration. When uh, prior to the Bush administration, most people didn't know what extraordinary rendition was. You know they didn't know uh, about like the horrors that were possible at a prison like Abu Ghraib. And uh, we had a lot of fear of our government, I feel. Like, there was a lot of fear in the air that the government was actually capable of the horrors that you see in the Bourne films. And the idea that Bourne is kind of growing a conscience and rebelling and fighting back against that government was cathartic in some way, right? Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, you know, the last movie came out nine years ago. Uh, so it's been a really long time. But yeah, those old movies, very much of their time, we live in a much different 
era today. Uh, I, I, would, I would argue some of the terrible things that happened to the Bush administration got worse under Obama. Uh, sure. But some of them also got better. And, you know, Obama's just a really different guy and a different kind of ruler and a different order. Uh, but, you know, the thing that we have now that we didn't have then, Dave, is like – like social media stuff <laughs> and like, yeah. Leak, and like, like leaking and wiki social media guys <laughs> facebook is Snowden. a thing and there's like there's Snowden like is mentioned yeah. many yes. times yeah. <laughs> there's like there's like press conferences for technology stuff that are that yeah, are you're super right. interesting you're right. before we, we get have... into the really interesting things from this movie though guys like the world is fun like how insane is it Like, how different the world is from now between, like, uh, when we saw Ultimatum, right? Smartphones were not a thing then, right? Snowden and all of his leaks showing, like, everything the Bourne series was telling us is true! The government (laughs) is actually, like, watching us. Maybe not to the degree we saw in a lot of movies, uh, but there is extensive surveillance going on. It's it's almost like there was huge potential for Mm -hmm. Jason Bourne, the film, to be a really sharp incisive commentary on our times uh but yeah born ultimatum came out the year that the first iphone was released so that is a long time ago a lot has changed uh and so the question is would this film inject enough uh different elements into the series enough fresh elements uh to make it interesting in these new times that we live in angie han what do you think uh no but the films don't really feel like they have i mean i just admitted i don't it's not like i remember the previous ones that well but the whole thing like while i was watching it or actually i should say right after i watched it i turned to my friend who was watching with me and i was like have the born movies always been this boring and like i just somehow never realized uh i mean it's just there's not that much in here that doesn't feel like we've already seen it before and And even though the world has changed a lot and they're trying to make it more topically relevant, one of the problems is that Bourne himself doesn't actually care that much about any of the stuff. He's just in it for some personal thing that, you know, we can get into that later. So it just kind of it just kind of feels like we've done all this before. Yeah, uh, I would say that the plot of Jason Bourne is incredibly similar to the plots of Born Supremacy and Born Ultimatum, which is kind of crazy to think about because Ultimatum is in many ways a remake of Supremacy, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Like many of the scenes are the same, the shots are the same, the locations, the music, they score the music with, yeah. is similar. So it already has kind of remade itself in, in a different environment. Ultimatum took place in New York. And so, oh, hey, here's the same elements, but kind of brought to the U.S., brought to New York, Let's remix them a little. We have like a different villain this time around in David Strathairn's character. Uh, that's Born Ultimatum. So they, they already redid that plot before. And Jason Bourne basically redoes that plot once mm-hmm. more, even though the world is dramatically different. Devinder Hardwar, I think this movie offended you. You know, yes. it offended you as a technology journalist because the movie invokes many elements of technology. It invokes things like Snowden and uh, social networks and data leaks and hacking. Uh, but it doesn't do so in a very smart way. Tell us about that, Devendra. It invokes words. Yes, words that you may have heard <laughs> on the Internet. Um, but that's about it. 
it, it feels and this movie was written by uh Greengrass and uh, Christopher Rouse, so not Tony Gilroy, who was sort of like the other father of the franchise and in his own way, I guess, sort of ruined the franchise with legacy, but whatever. Um, he was at least smart about a lot of these things. Like he brought a humanity to the earlier films and a sort of like technical, it, it sounded like he did his research. Okay. This movie <laughs> definitely invokes some of the dumbest technical speak that I've ever seen. Um, just the screens we're seeing like of these people using computers, um, you know, it, it, the UIs look awful. Like, would, would the CIA have a big red flag uh, over, you know, one of their former agents? Like, oh, by the way, this guy is tied to the title character of your movie. Like, so, nothing so yeah, Devinder is referring yeah. to a scene in which they open up a dossier of Nikki Pars- Parsons, played by Julia Stiles. Yes. And at the bottom of that dossier is are the words linked to Jason Bourne. Just <laughs> so if, you know. As Just if so that is know. the way... That uh, the CIA would choose to convey that information. I really like uh, what Sean Burns wrote about this movie over at his blog, Splice Personality. Uh, he says uh, that <laughs> Styles joins up with some sort of Icelandic WikiLeaks collective and she's just hacked the CIA, downloading a desktop icon helpfully labeled. Black operations. Yeah. Hey, sir, uh, <laughs> we, uh, do it. I'm, gonna, I'm installing all the files on your computer. Uh, what, what do you want me to put all the black? Black ops stuff. Um, you know, just what, you know what? Write it I so I can find it. Okay? I, yeah, I can always get so confused. Uh, just put it under in a folder n- labeled Black Ops, so I know what the top secret Black Ops stuff is. <laughs> it was at this uh, moment. This Go is ahead. also the same movie though, where they're like, they're like, hmm, I need, I, like, they're like, how do we tell the audience that these files are encrypted? I know. Let's have a USB stick. That says the word encrypted. encrypted. Someone wrote on like white out. You guys, wrote, don't, you guys haven't bought the encrypted brand USB sticks before? <laughs> it's, totally safe. it's totally, totally safe. Encrypted. By the way, if you're the head of said hacker collective, feel free to just like inject, like bear back this USB stick into your computer. Uh, because nothing could go wrong with that, you idiot. Oh my god. They're, this movie, Riz Ahmed plays the CEO of a social media company and... Uh, at no point in the movie do they say what that company does like why it exists it has a billion users for what social media that that's it that to me was the most unbelievable thing they're they're so (laughs) lazy that they couldn't come up with some fake use for this company they just allow it to be nothing Social media, guys. The, I mean, uh, we're sort of getting into spoilers here, but not not really. Uh, no. Rizzo Meta at one point gives a pitch with perfect Mark Zuckerberg cadence, so I'll give him that. And he's a great actor. I love seeing him in things. Um, but his pitch for, like, the revolutionary product in this movie is just, like, a checkbox of, like, buzzwords. It is using, like, <laughs> personal data to um, – it's using, like, yeah, all of your data to personalize your experience, which is not even, like – a feature of a platform that's just like a thing that happens now it's not a feature you would sell a bill you know a billion user platform my favorite thing that happens in regard to that in this movie is he starts describing what the what the the company does and we cut to somebody like jason Bourne in another room and we fade the audio out on what he's talking about and i would love more than anything to find out (laughs) what bullshit they had the actors say during that period because they literally like just like don't pay attention 
to any of the details, folks. And then they fade back up at the end, and he's like, and that's why it's going to change the world. (laughs) You literally just faded out the details part. You yada, 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 the most important part of that speech. I I feel like we've gotten off on a tangent, though. I do do want to, like, talk about my feelings about this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I guess uh, I just wanted to mention something you said to me after seeing the Mm -hmm. film, or that you tweeted, uh, that basically we live in a world where... Uh, you can download all of Steve Jobs and Tim Cook's and Phil Schiller's presentations from Apple and right. uh, where you can watch TechCrunch Disrupt and where we've seen Silicon Valley on HBO. And- or Mr. Robot, which has actual code and actual like live interfaces. And that's, that's accuracy. It may not be the greatest show in the world, but at least they're doing tech right. Right, yeah. So we, we live in a world where like these things are widely accessible and uh, it, this – movie just does not pass the smell test i think mm-hmm. you said if you got this pitch in your email box you would delete it without a second thought because yeah. uh and we just we're talking about the pitch the that riz ahmed box. the riz ahmed speech that he gives about what his platform is all about it the whole movie feels like an outline of a script that was yes. never filled in it's like oh we gotta have a uh you know a social network thing and we'll figure out what it does later and, uh, you know, we got to have uh, this CIA operation thing and we'll figure that out later. And so people are speaking in platitudes and generalities the whole time. And it's pretty painful. So, Devendra, your overall thoughts on the film you want to get to? Yeah, this, uh, this movie, uh, on Twitter, I also called it The Born Retread Stone. And I think that's, that's pretty much <laughs> nice. That's what this movie is. Because as you mentioned, Dave, yeah, it does recycle so many of the old plots. And some things I'll even get to in spoilers, like beat for beat, Things that happen to other important characters in this series happen again to other important characters in this movie who maybe share some, you know, qualities, uh, some similar qualities or something. Right. Uh, but even then, like the what I love about the original series is that those movies kind of meant something. The Born Identity was about, you know, this amnesiac waking up and figuring out that he had these weird ass skills and like trying to come to terms with the fact that he was a monster. The second movie was him basically atoning for his sins. Um, that movie is amazing to me. It's, uh, I think, the best movie of the series. Supremacy yeah. is just fantastic. Um, that's a movie where after the big like car chase, still one of the best car chases ever filmed. Uh, but after that, we have a fourth act where he's just like sitting down and talking to a girl whose parents he killed. And it's just like basically saying, I'm sorry. And to me, like that is the, the height of like the series so far. Ultimatum, like I, I, they didn't even really do much, right? He figures out who he actually is, but it doesn't mean anything. And as little as that movie ultimately meant, this one uh, yeah, doesn't mean anything. It adds drama to the series that we didn't need. We don't care really what happened to Jason Bourne's father or David Webb's father. It doesn't really add anything. It just adds soap opera drama. Um, it really gets away from, I think, you know, what makes everything important. You know, we don't know why Bourne is doing anything uh, in this movie. He's just reacting to things. He's not really a smart guy uh, figuring out the situation. He's just kind of like doing what he did before and somehow, you know, getting in a big car chase with the bad guy will uh, will solve all your problems. There are some bravura scenes in this movie. There's basically yeah. two set pieces that are very impressive. But... Uh, I mean, even when we're watching Ultimatum, which according to your description is kind of one of the lesser born films, and I would agree with that assessment. I know, there's I that like amazing. The Tangier's foot chase and stuff. But the yeah, Tangier's, foot chase, Tangier's foot chase is amazing. And there's a scene when he's guiding a reporter yes. through a crowded uh, terminal. Waterloo. Yeah, Waterloo. It's incredible. Like, incredibly shot, incredibly edited, very thrilling. 
Um, and nothing really rose to that level for me in this new movie, Jason Bourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Kanata, uh, what did you think of, of the action and the overall film? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to pull back a little bit and say how excited I was for this movie. Um, I did uh, – I was on another show on another network uh, at the beginning of the summer and we were asked to pick what we thought was going to be the best movie of the summer. And I ended up picking Finding Dory just sort of like, I think it's going to be the best movie. But I <laughs> said I, my second place would be Jason Bourne. I mean this was Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon leaving the series saying we're done. We, we said all, said all we're, we're going to say. They kept making them. I didn't even see that one with Jeremy Renner but everybody said it wasn't that great. Uh, and then they were going to come back. They were going to do it again. And why would the, these great creators right. come back? Yeah. There had to be some great thing that they wanted to do again. There had to be some – they were going to return to this series and there had to be something that drew them back. There had to be something that after all this time was good enough. This script had to be good enough that they were like, yeah, let's get back on this horse and do it again. Because they had already sworn off the series. They had said like, right. we're not doing any more Bourne films. Uh, you know, Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass both said like, no more Bourne films. So and not only that, them, yep, go ahead. They, said, they each said, we won't do it without the other guy. Yeah. Like we both have to come back. We both have to be so into this material that it's – and so that le- filled me with such – confidence that this was going to be a home run because each of the previous movies was a home run this to me is the kingdom of the crystal skulls of the born franchise <laughs> this is the original creators back as i always wanted i hoped one more just give me one more and then i went oh why did i wish for that i didn't need one more i you've now you've ruined it now you've ruined it um it, it really it really is is not a good movie and you know, you bring up the action. I don't even think – you say there are two big set pieces. I don't even think those two big set pieces are particularly well made. I actually sat there going, is this really Paul Greengrass? Is <laughs> wow. this, did he actually direct this? Because the movie felt so limp and and thoughtless and lazy. Uh, even those big set pieces – they didn't feel particularly exciting. Like the idea yeah. behind them, a motorcycle chase through a a a uh, war-torn sort of civil unrest area, that on paper is amazing. The, the actualization of it in the film feels completely lazy and it's poorly slow. executed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the last car chase, which is the other big set piece, is I think not particularly impressive either. Uh, the ending is kind of interesting, and the fact – just sort of the fact that they do it in Las Vegas is exciting mm-hmm. just because it's like, wow, how the heck did they shoot in Las Vegas? The sheer amount of destruction uh, in yeah. that final set piece is what makes it interesting. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is another like – it's they're just trying to outdo the supremacy car chase. It also has unfortunate resonance yes. with the real-life events uh, yes. right. that have taken place around the world. Right, but, and and you know, in each of the Bourne movies, like you, the way you see him fight – it is unbelievable and and feels grounded and real and that sequence when he's running through the rooftops in the last movie and we come out the window behind yep. him as he makes that like unbelievable there is nothing even remotely like that in inventive or interesting or fun there in fact is the opposite of that um there's a moment where he supposedly jumps off a five-story building and grabs onto something and survives and it is one of the most poorly executed action beats I have seen in a long time. And it's so bad 
that we need a, another character to, to, to explain it to us. Another character explicitly goes, he, well, he jumped off a five-story building. And I'm like, I'm glad you said that because I would never have known from how it was shot – that that's what just happened. They they Jack Bauer Jason Bourne basically, like to the point where like Jack Bauer in the later twenty four seasons was basically a superhero, and you couldn't believe him anymore. That's kind of what happened here. So on top of all the things that you guys have said, which is the story is is really generic and uninteresting, and it doesn't seem to be a cause for another one of these installments. The all of the tech stuff is like insultingly bad and just thrown in to be sort of topical, but doesn't actually have anything to say. His motivations are pretty uninteresting. So on top of all that, even the stuff that you figure that they would get right, which is action and ex- just pure excitement and, and you know set pieces, even that stuff didn't deliver. I could not have been more disappointed by this movie. I just thought it was unbelievable to come from these creators. Agreed. Uh, I would think that when they were coming back, there had to be something there, and it just doesn't feel like there was anything there. They're just retreading the the same ground that they've already gone over uh, in the first three films, and well, it's, it's a sure point. thing for both of them, right? After like a series of not so successful movies. True, and uh, the film actually did pretty well. Uh, yeah, 60, I'm sure. Sixty million dollars in opening weekend, and. Uh, that is not bad for a movie of this kind. But, you know, Jeff, uh, to, to your point about, like, transcendent moments, I, I've spoken about them before. You know, I remember the first time I watched Bourne Supremacy in theaters and seeing Jason Bourne use a magazine yeah. to kill an assassin. And then Incredible. use the same magazine to blow up that guy's house. Incredible. Uh, uh, it's just, wow. Like, who thought of that? And then, like, uh, he grabs a, uh, a, a, like, in Bourne Supremacy... Grabs a bottle of alcohol off the shelf, uh, spits it in a guard's face in order to incapacitate him, then uses the alcohol to disinfect a bullet wound. It's just like, whoa, you know, like, that is smart, creative thinking. And steal that guy's car. Yeah, and steal that guy's car. And that is awesome. And And uh, this movie's version of that is I'm going to go to a tech conference and steal some tech thing and use that tech thing to to listen to people. (laughs) It's like, what? Yeah. It's it's a huge letdown from what's come before. So yeah. uh, I really thought the movie was a was a massive disappointment as well for all the reasons you guys have talked about. And I think there's a little bit more to say in spoilers. So why don't we just go to that uh, right now? Uh, spoilers for Jason Bourne starting now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been... Dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. The, uh, so the, the things I was alluding to, I think what really irked me about this movie, and I kind of felt it a little too an ultimatum, like when it started to, when that movie started to repeat certain things from Supremacy, including like using the, uh, the Bim Bam Smash, uh, like score beat for the chase in Ultimatum. Uh, this movie does that several times. Uh, it kills off Nikki, I think, kind of needlessly, too, because she's like qu- kind of one of our few recurring uh, elements of the series from the first movie that kills her off almost exactly the same way as the Franca Patenta character in Supremacy, right? They're, they're in a chase. She gets kind of sniped from afar. Well, they're driving uh, away. They're trying to yes. escape from an asset. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then an she gets sniped. And- the, asset. the asset. That's yeah. how creative they've become. Because that's the in kind the, of movie uh, the series. Yeah. yeah, at least, you know, Ultimatum and Supremacy gave them names. They were anyway. people. Yeah. Uh, I, I did kind of like Vincent Cassell in this movie, but I also like him in everything. Uh, I just wish, uh, like, 
Yeah, so there's that. And also in the chase with Vincent Cattell at the end, he basically just ends it the same way he ends a supremacy chase, right? Like getting T-boned and kind of like backing out of it. And the third time, like the first time you do that, I remember seeing the supremacy chase in a full theater and everybody just gasped because like that is like a beat of silence after the insanity of that whole car chase. And in this movie, it's like, oh, of course. Because that's what you do. That's what you do in a boring movie. And it's that sort of thing. Like, that just shows how lazy they are. Well, I, You're I talking about, yeah. the, the problem with that last scene, in, in my opinion, is not the execution. It is the emotional stakes that lead up to it. Yes. Um, yes. So uh, I rewatched Supremacy, and the moment with, at the end with Alicia Vikander is actually like a direct echo of... Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene at the beginning of Born Supremacy when they're running away and Born basically says to Frank a Patentis character, "Hey, uh, we got lazy. You know, they're going to keep chasing us. Like we, we're they're going to keep coming after us. Uh, we, we have to do this. I have no choice." And she says, "Yes, you do have a choice." And then right after that, she gets shot in the head by Carl mm-hmm. Urban. Uh, so there is a scene at the end of this movie that's exactly like that, where Alicia Vikander says, "You have a choice." You can choose whether to go out there after Vincent Cassell. And Matt Damon chooses to go out after Vincent Cassell. It's like, no, and, I have And it results in the deaths of, like, hundreds of people. Like, if he had just <laughs> not gone after him, yeah. like, all those people wouldn't have died. How many and people died in that I chase? I found that think? honestly really upsetting. And, like, just I was watching that scene, and I was just like... It's just like, look at all those cars that are just being upended. That was a dad just, like, you know, trying to get home to his family. You know, that After was a mom being like, I'm going to celebrate Vegas. my son's birthday now they're all dead. Yeah, it's, it's, so, okay, so that's and one... All because, and all because Jason Bourne is, like, fixated on this dad that we didn't even know existed yeah. until, like, yeah. 90 minutes ago. He's fixated on this revenge for this dad that we, that is not introduced at all in the series. And I don't, let's also point out that in addition to being a betrayal of what we know about Bourne, right, that last scene where he says to Vish, Alicia Vighender, like, uh, I'm out of here, I got to go kill this guy... Uh, in addition to like betraying what we know about like what uh, Bourne has learned about revenge theoretically un- until this point, yeah, uh, the, this movie also betrays the character that's been built up with regards to you know what Jason Bourne has discovered about himself because mm-hmm. the second film was about how you know he became a killer in his first mission, and then Bourne Ultimatum was about hey you volunteered for this man you are kind of a monster you kind of are responsible for this. And then they basically America. just undid. They, you were all responsible. They for this undid America. all that. They undid all that because in this movie he was tricked into becoming a volunteer. Right. So way to and just also, erase all the character development from the second and third films. You know, I mean, the movie begins with him like just pit fighting in Turkey for some reason. Like that. That's a big regression. Like from wherever we thought we ended with him in Ultimatum. Right. There. There. Whatever character growth we thought we had, uh, we didn't. Well, he's living off the grid, Devendra. He's making yeah. money off of these fight The only clothes, way he knows how. <laughs> off of this bare-knuckle boxing. I'm actually pretty shocked that anyone would bet against him, let alone want to gather around to see a fight because it's so boring. Like, why yeah, would you yeah. want to go see a one-punch fight? It doesn't. I- I'm shocked that a tiny dude like that, though, <laughs> could really knock out a big, uh, a big burly. Sure. That's, I mean, that's kind of what it, the humor yeah. of, the, of the film is that, like, the idea that Bourne is so badass, even so, though he's not as jacked as these professional bodybuilders that he can still take them out a 50 year old man can knock out this dude I think the best way to I think the best word to describe this movie is perfunctory like it just everything just kind of like it just seems like everyone was giving like a 30% effort like you know 
The ending is also completely incomprehensible, and what I mean by that is the final scene with Alicia Vikander and the the liaison or whoever she was talking to, and she's like, you know, are you sure you can bring Bourne in? Oh, I think I have my ways. And the guy's like, well, I guess that's good enough for me. Uh, Well, the reason that she's so sure is because she read in a file, Bourne can probably be brought back in. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. In those words. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, and then she brings that evidence to her boss, is. and she's a and genius. It's amazing. And actually, that could have been a pretty interesting yes. way to yeah. end the movie. Is yeah. oh crap, he doesn't even realize. Oh wait, no, he's one step ahead, and he realized. And oh, can't just no been born. <laughs> no stakes. Literally, <laughs> just no been stakes. Born. Just, it, but I don't understand her, any part of the movie where she is in it. Yeah, any Alicia right. v- Vikander Starting moment with her in the accent, movie, by the way. Yeah, the, pretty the, rough. The 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 point of the movie where Vincent Cassell is chasing him and she is chasing him and he somehow intuits that he can get in her car and she won't be upset about that <laughs> and and they all all of a sudden are on the same page and like he explicitly trusts her and why there's no they have had literally no contact he's just seen this woman for the first time but he gets in the car with her and. Now we're friends because – oh, because you're the female lead of the movie, I guess. Yeah, let's talk about other stupid things that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, the idea that uh, WikiLeaks guy doesn't live in a freaking blacked-out window with a Faraday cage. You know, like why, why – no, dude, it's a it, nice day out. You got to open those, up those blinds and born sunshine born you know, definitely needs that sun. He doesn't want to conceal his incredibly illegal and covert activities in that apartment building. Oh, with his encrypted you mean file, the, the flash drive labeled encrypted. Yes, yes, and, also, and he doesn't anticipate that something could go horribly wrong if he tried to open that file. Yeah, it, it, th- that's one of the big problems of this movie is we are used to Jason Bourne being like three steps ahead of everyone who's chasing after him, and in this movie, it felt like he was always trying to catch up, and that is just in, in another way betrays the character. The hacker, and, like and, that whole hacker scene, just really got to me because like it betrays <laughs> even like. A basic level of computer security <laughs> understanding, like yeah, don't don't plug in fucking strange things into your computer. They didn't talk about if that computer was like disconnected. Yeah, from air the gap. Or like anything. there's no like, air gap for that. You got to be air gap. Even if like even if we assume he's smart enough to do that, he puts his phone right there, and it's like, <laughs> oh my god, have you have you not seen anything or heard anything about? Did you not see culture? Enemy of the State? Did you not, Did you not see... see the other Born movies? <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that bothers me is you know there's that moment in every Bourne movie where there's dudes in a room and they're trying to get Bourne and he's you know trying to stay one step ahead of him but that is literally this entire movie the entire (laughs) movie is that moment from Bourne movie it starts in that place where we're dudes in a room who are watching big screens and telling people to track and enhance you know there was, oh, 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 hey, oh, hey, 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 there's yes. a freaking yellow blob there. Uh, enhance this incredibly low-resolution footage. Oh, my God, it's Nikki Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically and what happened in the film. So the entire – but the entire movie is just tracking we're, – we're never really hanging out with, with, with Bourne. Like, we don't mm-hmm. – it's not really even, like, from his perspective, this movie. It's like a bunch of people spying on Bourne, but it, it's not even making that statement. It's just It's just the most – uninteresting way to watch a Bourne movie is from those people's perspective. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and, like, it's not like we get a good sense of who those people are or what they want either other than just like, I don't know, this guy's evil, this lady's devious. Sure, why the fuck not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we never learned what the evil thing the CIA is trying to do with social media company. 
Um, it's it's just like a it. thing. They because that would have required them to think about the script for more than two goddamn seconds. Yeah. Guys, there was come a up scene. With what the social media company is. There was a, 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 you know, I'm a little bit more forgiving about that. I mean, they're generically like a Facebook, you know? It's kind of sure. like how Blue Book in uh, Ex Machina was like Google. It's kind of just generically a thing. But uh, I agree that uh, it did feel like completely tacked on. Like, what is this movie trying to say about our use of social media today. There's one scene when Alicia Vikander says, hey, track that person, like isolate that person's location by social media posts. And that's the extent of it. Oh, wow, we all tweet a lot and share our location. Like, I think that's... the only thing this movie has to say about social media is it would be great for Matt Damon's career if he could get trending on Twitter right now. Exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. sure, he made Just a movie. Yeah. This reminds me of like a joke from uh, Bojack Horseman, season three. Uh, there's a scene where they're at the wedding, right? Or a wedding reception. And uh, somebody is just like, uh, this person's name, the other person's name, and just repeats it back and forth. And this movie feels like the script is just like, government, (laughs) social media, Jason Bourne. (laughs) Government, (laughs) social media, Jason Bourne. Yeah, over and over again. That sounds about right. We haven't even talked really about Riz Ahmed's performance. yeah, he's just completely wasted in this film. I think kind of wasted, yeah. but I do appreciate his Zuckerberg performance uh, because I have been forced to listen to so many goddamn Facebook uh, like conferences. He really gets <laughs> the cadence down, so I mm. give him props to the, for that. Any? I am happy that he's getting work in high-profile projects. Good for him. Yeah, he doesn't yes. really need this at this point because he's going to be in Rogue One. But you know, still. Super talented him. guy. Uh, looking forward to seeing what else he comes out with. Uh, Tommy but... Lee Jones is also in this movie. Guys. Oh wow. Guys, a guy. Tommy Lee Jones' face has more features than the Grand Canyon. It, yeah. uh-huh. it has it, – you could just study it for days and days. Um, it, it tells a story, unlike this movie. That being said, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, he looks completely bored in this film. Uh-huh. Uh, and not, Wouldn't you be? Yeah, I mean, there's just really not much for him to do. And what was really shocking to me is not just the story beats that this movie recre- recreates, but just the character archetypes – from the previous film, right? Alicia Vikander is the Pamela Landy character played by Joan Allen. They even replaced the Albert Finney, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Brian Cox, Chris Cooper character with Tommy Lee Jones. That yeah. dynamic is the same, you know, and uh, Alicia Vikander loses a couple of men on a mission that she's trying to do, same as in Born Supremacy. It just, it felt so lazy. It felt like recreating what's already been done. And when you're nine years late to the party, that's just not good enough anymore. So. I mean, this. I mean, you guys keep talking about how it's, it keeps repeating stuff from the old movies, but it repeats stuff even within this movie. Like, it happens yeah. literally three times that a person's like, I have something really important to say, and then they get shot before they can say what it is. <laughs> literally three times in this movie that fucking happens. It happens with uh, uh, Julia Salas' character. It happens with Bourne's dad. It happens with Riz Ahmed, although that time they threw us a crazy plot twist and let him live. Um, <laughs> That's and it's true. just like, yeah, like it's it's not even it's not even that it's just repeating it's old, like the older movies. It's it's just so out of ideas that it's like, oh fuck, I don't know. We shot that guy last time. Why don't we just do that again? Let's go home, guys. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it I, uh, not a great film. Go ahead. How go ahead. easy was it for Bourne to just get back into the U.S.? That's the sort of thing that just a like. Even yeah. like, oh, okay, she did some computer shit, and she made his <laughs> yeah. passport fine, but he, 
They have the facial recognition software, which they use in the movie to detect people. They've used it uh, in earlier movies to detect yeah. him. And, no, they actually <laughs> used it to detect him, but they detected him like after the fact. I remember this because like there's a plot point where like, oh, yeah, Bourne landed and he used a different passport. Somehow we found out about this a day late. Government. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I love that you so perfectly said that she did some computer shit and let him into the country. Why? Why did what? What is her motivation at any given time? I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of I don't know about her accent and everything. I kind of was interested in like where she Alicia Vikander was taking this character. But yeah, we don't know enough about what was going on. Uh, I just found like him getting back into the country is like such a prime example of something you bring up a lot, Angie. Is that Jason Bourne is like the world's worst spy when it comes to hiding. Like he just, oh, he is. He just I, that's try. the one thing I do remember from the earlier films is that he's constantly insisting that his companions dye their hair, but he won't yeah. so much as like fucking put on a hat or a pair of sunglasses <laughs> when he goes outside. And like, but like as you guys pointed out, like in the past movies, though, at least he kind of comes across as someone who's smart and competent. So you're just like, I mean, it seems kind of arrogant that you wouldn't take this really simple step to hide a little, but at least you, you know, you seem like you've got it handled. And that doesn't seem like the case here when he's doing things like, as you pointed out, going to a Oh, God. When he's like, oh, I'm going to go to this hacker's guy who has giant windows that are all wide open. And we're just going to start plugging in things everywhere. And it's just like, yeah, it, it may sound like we're picking nits, but I think it's only because some of the previous films are pretty smart in this regard mm-hmm. uh, or feel a lot smarter. I don't think it's picking nits to point out that this is like just incredibly lazily, just like everything about this feels lazy. All the plotting feels lazy. Everything is just a series of like convenient coincidences and assumptions and like leaps of logic. Like, I don't think that's I, like I know it sounds like, you know, we're we're picking on small details but it, that's because this whole movie is full of stuff like that nothing about this actually really makes that much sense agreed i would say that what could have added a lot to this movie you know people have already started uh, rewriting the movie in their minds and what i've seen a lot is what would be interesting is if jason Bourne himself were the snowden like character that was right. doing battle with the government or that would have actually given like yeah then it would have actually commented on something instead of just having people say the word snowden a couple of times while jason Bourne angst about his dad that yeah. he, he only seems to have one memory of his dad because they repeat that same flashback like 18 times <laughs> yeah uh and so that would have been interesting another interesting plot line that i think they're gonna they're hinting at exploring in future films is if he's actually brought in and then he has to go like do missions for the cia or something along those lines like what would that be like um but just like change up the dynamics somehow man change it up okay, somehow do you do you guys want future films like do you want more jason Bourne movies i'm asking very sincerely at this point i yeah no i i'm fine not i, I am interested if they do something radically different um but yeah not really i and, mean it's it's just a tough call too. like when tony gilroy who i pretty much trusted with the franchise with legacy like whenever he can't figure out and he's a great scriptwriter, he can't even make that script work um i kind of appreciate legacy a little more now dave um just because he at least tried to be different uh but yeah that movie was a goddamn mess too so maybe we should just move on yeah uh so firstly you know, I, I love Gil- Tony Gilroy, love Michael Clayton, love Duplicity. Yep. But apparently, you know, Damon has gone on record as saying, like, his uh, script for Born Ultimatum was a career ender, like, was so horrible that if it was released <laughs> to the public, no one would ask Tony Gilroy to write anything again. So, 
uh, he's, he, it's not that he can't do any wrong, but I will say that one thing Bourne Legacy had that this movie doesn't have is humanity. You yeah. know, what are these relationships between these characters? The Rachel Weisz character and the Jeremy Renner character, you get a sense of that relationship in, in a way that you don't get a sense of the relationships between Bourne and, and Nikki Parsons in this movie, or Riz Ahmed and Alicia Vikander, who went to college together for some reason, uh, and that's never explored. <laughs> that's mentioned, like, that's mentioned, like, really briefly in yeah. passing and never comes up again. Just, just, just so they, they can say they know each other, yeah. basically. It's like, yeah. I know him. I, yeah. I spoke to him once at a party. I thought maybe it was to establish that Alicia Vikander might look 17, but she's actually old enough to have graduated college. Right, right, right. <laughs> I do think uh, that, you know, the relationship between her and Tommy Lee Jones, like, what was that relationship like? And why does she think, you know, he's so outdated? We kind of... Un- inherently understand why that's the case but it's never really explained in the film or even hinted at other well, than he's her, old he's old and i'm new you know she's that's young that's why does so jason Bourne changed. trust her <laughs> yeah why does he why do why do they because team up really good luck with young women in past <laughs> movies is all i can yeah. think of so you look you look like the ingenue <laughs> He's like, well, I lost like my current like younger woman sidekick, so you must be my new one. I guess the, I guess they brought me a new one. Hello. Yeah, yeah they I, brought it, they brought him a new one. They you do what you one. know, okay? Yeah. All right, guys, that's our review of Jason Bourne. Uh, stay tuned to hear more on the after dark of this show. In the meantime, find more episodes at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. Angie Han, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can find more of my work at slashfilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at ajhan. How about you, Devendra? Oh, well, I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. And Jeff Kanata? I'm at Jeff Kanata on Twitter, and uh, I have several other shows, including uh, 5x5.tv slash DLC for video games, uh, Tomorrow Daily on CNET.com, and uh, uh, WeHaveConcerns.com. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.me. My film, The Primary Instinct, is on Hulu right now. Check it out there. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. All right, guys, I promised we'd talk about Stranger Things in the After Dark. But before we get to that, anything uh, else you guys want to mention that you've been watching recently? Jeff Carrara? Uh I've been watching a bunch of stuff. Uh, we don't have to go too deep into it. But um, I really want to mention um, Captain Fantastic, which is a new film uh, starring Viggo Mortensen. I really hope you guys see this movie. Uh, it really has stayed with me. I've recommended it to everybody that I come into contact with. It's really one of those films that will inform your your thoughts about the world. It certainly resonates for me as someone who's about to have a child. It's about a father who is raising his family completely off the grid in the middle of a forest. And uh, they uh, he's basically raising them to be superheroes in a, in a sort of vague sense. It's, it's a misleading title because it's not really about superheroes at all. But uh, you can sort of infer what they're going for there because uh, he's he's creating he's trying to create the best people. He um, they you know they hunt their own food. They're completely self reliant. They practice uh, martial arts. They meditate. They read. They are completely disconnected to any sort of 
um, entertainment media, but they read the great novels and they discuss it. They sit around campfires at night and they play music and they discuss what they're reading. He's creating these amazing philosopher kings, as they say at one point in the in the film. And then at, at a certain point, they they need to to go back into the real world and interact with real society. And it's that culture clash of of these these kids who have only known. Uh, these great works and uh, their insular upbringing um, smashed into the real world. And it is, it's not a movie that sort of takes sides. I think it shows the good and bad of that, but it really made me think about how I want to raise my kids. And it made me think about where we are as a, as a culture and as a society. And I just found it to be completely captivating and intriguing. Uh, Both my wife and I really liked it and really, Viggo Mortensen is is kind of the only guy that could that could pull this off. Like he, you get a sense that it's kind of a little Vigo, you know, is a little Vigo in that character. Like the the crunchiness of him, the self reliance, the hippie side of Viggo Mortensen is is in full effect. It, it's an awesome performance, and the kids are all great. Uh, really, really good movie. All right, well, that's Captain Fantastic. It's out in limited release right now. Uh, Jeff, I worry if we go through all, all of your stuff, we won't have time to do the Stranger Things stuff. Um, That's okay. I just want to quickly name check The Night Of because it's phenomenal. Awesome show. And, uh, mm-hmm. We will talk more about that in a later episode, but you should be watching it if you're not already. Wow, is it good. Uh, yeah, and I see BoJack Horseman Season 3 is on your list as well. Uh, I watched the first four episodes, and it is still really good. Still it's one of my good. favorite shows. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devendra, anything you want to mention real quick before we dive into Stranger Things? Yeah, real quick. Uh, I saw Childhood of a Leader. Have you guys heard of this movie? Mm-hmm. Nope. Directed by actor Brady Corbett. It is sort of like a fictionalized version of like, uh, what what would create Hitler, right? What would Hitler's childhood be like? Uh, so it's basically documenting the life of a very disturbed child uh, in a post-World War One era and kind of like giving us a sense of like what could lead to like extreme fascism or something. This is a strange-ass movie. So I'm just mentioning it because it's one of the most uh, curious and intriguing things I've seen in a while. It's a beautiful film with an, a really interesting score, too, by Scott Walker. Great cast, Liam Cunningham, Bernice Bergeau, Robert Pattinson, and uh, the kid... And a really good performance by Tom Sweet as just this, like, he's almost like he's playing Damien, uh, you know, from uh, from The Exorcist or something or from, from one of those movies. It is, it's a really weird movie and it's kind of confusing too because I think whatever you assume uh, you're going to get from, uh, you know, from a movie like this, like it's such a great premise. The movie actively just doesn't give it to you either. Like I think some of the more interesting elements it just really shies away from. But it's one of the most intriguing things I've seen in a while. So I just want to put it out there. If you like weird-ass art house movies, uh, this one's probably worth a watch. I also want to mention Brain Dead uh, Again, because the show keeps getting good, uh, it seems like CBS just wants it to die. They moved it from Monday nights to Sunday nights. Um, I just want to say it's very good. You can watch it if you have Amazon Prime right now. Uh, acclaimed character actress Margot Martindale just appeared so in the most recent episode. And that's kind of funny because in BoJack they mentioned her good her good wife connection very briefly. Um, so, yeah, just like if you're looking for something fun and interesting to watch, especially in this like increasingly heated political climate, 
Um, yeah, check out Brain Dead. Watch the first Prime. episode. I watched the first episode, and I I wasn't sh- my wife and I both weren't sure what to make of it. So we got to give it exactly. some more episodes. But it's uh, it's definitely different. All right. Well, that's Brain Dead, and uh, also the childhood of a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, how'd you watch that? Ladder film, Devendra. Uh, that was on iTunes. It is streaming and available right now. I actually just watched the trailer, and it gives you a good sense of what the movie's going for. Really intriguing. And that score, I can't get out of my head. Uh, all right, I'll just mention a couple quick things. I saw Lights Out, which is nice. uh, a horror film that was very well reviewed. Uh, that was based off of like a two-minute short film. And uh, I did not think the movie was very good. Uh, they <laughs> took a two-minute short film and padded it out to like eighty minutes. And you feel that padding. They uh, it, like it felt like a short film that should have made in, from a two-minute short film into like a ten to fifteen-minute short film versus an eighty-minute film. Uh, and they do some interesting things with the premise of like this creature that only attacks you at when the lights are out, when there's no light shining on you. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say that uh, the other aspects of the movie that aren't horror-related are pretty rough, and you can tell it's very <laughs> low-budget. Um, the thrills are good. Thrills are good, but everything beyond that, not super great. Uh, and that's unfortunate. But I'm glad that the movie's making a lot of money, and I hope this uh, gives the writer and director uh, some more resources to come up with uh, something else down the line that's like a different premise that may be more fleshed out. So that's Lights Out. It's in theaters right now, doing very well. Also saw Suicide Squad, which I thought was a mess, and we're going to talk about that on this podcast next week. So, all that being said, why don't we get into Stranger Things, guys? And we should say that uh, we are going to spoil every episode of Stranger Things through Season 1, the first eight episodes. Uh, But yeah, I I don't think we've gotten more requests for any show than this one to discuss. Uh, And so, now that we're weapons-free on spoilers, guys... Uh, what did you think of how this show wrapped up, Devinder Hardwar? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think the journey is what I enjoyed the most about it because a show like this, when you get to the mystery, when you start setting, uh, solving everything, it's just hard to kind of keep that momentum going. I don't think the show quite stuck the ending, but I still love the characters. And I kind of love like seeing them get to this sort of conclusion. So it was still a great ride, just probably not like a totally memorable ending for me. How about you, Jeff Kanata? Yeah, when I brought it up, I think last episode, um, and you guys hadn't quite finished yet. That's that's my only criticism. I really liked this show, and and I completely agree with Devendra that the journey was re- really great and well worth it. Uh, so fun, so much to like. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think they stuck the landing, and that to me is is what prevented it from feeling like a home run. And and the fact that I binged it over two days speaks to how much I liked it. But it also speaks to like I was driven to get to that ending. Mm-hmm. I wanted to mm-hmm. find out. I wanted to find out. And I you know, I was a little disappointed with the the way the things wrapped up. But I will say I had this thought and I wonder if you guys <laughs> agree with me. You remember when, when Lost was like the biggest show in the world and there yeah. were a, like four or five or maybe more, like half a dozen new shows that came out when Lost was at its peak and they were all sort of trying to do what Lost was doing. They all were like big mystery shows, big crazy – a crazy yeah, event Like Flash happened. Forward or something like that. Yeah. yeah there was all the, – there was the one about the end of the world and there was the one with the people at the place and they're seeing the thing. <laughs> you know, there's like six of those. I would love a site like Slash Film to, to, to do some investigative journalism and to like find out what 
the end game of all those shows that got quickly canceled was? <laughs> like, what were the secrets of all those shows? Wouldn't that make you want to know, great, Jeff? Wouldn't that make for a great article of like, what was the thing? You know, this show that like lasted five episodes, or this one that like was gone after one season. They all probably had a plan of like, what mm-hmm. was the big reveal? I would love for that. That would be an amazing. That would be an amazing article. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about what you guys didn't like about the ending, because um, I. I thought the ending was one of the better elements, but I've been hearing a lot that people just did not like that ending. So I'm kind of curious what you thought about it. I'll talk briefly about what I really liked about the show. Firstly, the show balances a number of different plot lines and a number of different tones really well. Uh, I think in an interview they had said that the parents are in a Stephen King movie, the kids are in a Steven Spielberg movie, the teens are in a John Carpenter film. Yes, and sure. that is uh, feels like a very accurate description of what's happening here, and that takes freaking skill to balance those things out and to make them feel distinct and to make them feel interesting and to care about each one of those characters. But it did, it did. I did feel like I wasn't watching one thing. I felt like I was watching three things. Yeah, so that really uh, two uh, things. On the flip side, you know, that's kind of one of the downsides of that. Uh, I think the show is absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, just amazing to look at uh, every aspect of it. You know, the production design, uh, the casting is perfect. The performances are overall great. And I'll talk a little bit about that. About that. Um, but, uh, you know, I was also driven to, to get to the end. You know, I really mm-hmm. wanted to find out how this all wrapped up. And if I didn't have that desire, uh, I wouldn't have made it to the end. Now, that being said... I did find several things to be pretty problematic about this uh, series. One of them is Winona Ryder. Uh, I thought that she, like, it's like hearing a piano play the same (laughs) note for eight hours. You know, she is an incredibly talented actor. Yeah. But I, I, like... I almost stopped watching because of that character because because just because it's the the range of that character is so yeah. limited. She starts at eleven, basically. She starts I, at eleven, it, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And and we get maybe th- two to three glimpses of what she's like before uh, mm-hmm. she lost her son. And if that's the problem, like we we don't get to see what the range is, right? If she they, they could have ramped that up better. They could have ramped it up and I they loved didn't. It. Yeah, I, 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 I thought I, it was I, unbearable. I have um, to say though, yeah, as I, I also it. it it I didn't I wouldn't say I loved it, but I really like Winona Ryder as an actress and I think I I enjoyed watching her in that role too. And it gets more compelling too, like as the mystery goes on and on and like the stakes. Like at the point where she thinks she's going crazy because she's the only one who can communicate with her son in this other parallel universe or whatever. Uh, that's where it starts to really work for me. And then I start to really sympathize with her because, of course, everyone thinks she's crazy. But she knows, and I think we as the audience kind of know a little more to trust what she's seeing. Um, I start to really feel for her because, yeah, she's somebody who's just kind of broken in a way. And she's, I don't know, the point where... So we're, I guess we're talking about open spoilers yep, here, too. it's right? all spoilers. Everything. The point where, like, they find the kid's body... Um, 
that's that's insane. That's insanely rough. And like j- just her dealing with that and her not accepting it. That sounds like so many other parents too that you see um, in these sorts of things, like where their child is found murdered and they can't cope with the grief or something. Except this one time, yeah, she's actually right. It it it, it did kind of bother me in that way because mm-hmm. there's that scene with her and her son, yeah, where he says, "Hey, like you go keep chasing after Will. We're gonna have a freaking funeral," and it, it feels like it's quote unquote sending the wrong message. That like if you are in that situation, that you, you know. I would never tell someone how to grieve sure, in sure. that situation, but it does feel like, hey, yeah. this show is t- taking a position that in this particular case... The rules in this supernatural world... Yeah, Winona Ryder is completely uh, justified in her behavior, whereas, like, I, really, my sympathy w- was with the son in that case. Like, he's trying yeah, to yeah. stay grounded in the real world. And that's a big and, public argument, too. Yeah, like they, I, he's trying to stay grounded in the real so world, hard. try to move on, help everyone move on. It's... It's crazy. Um, I feel so much for that character, too. Her son, who's like, has to basically carry the weight of the whole family on his shoulders, too, because his mom's kind of a mess. And I, I don't know, that actor, kind of love seeing him kind of deal with this, too. Everyone is talking about how amazing the actor who played Eleven is. Mm-hmm. I, I did not... I, I, I think my biggest issue with the series as a whole is that it felt very... Um, consciously like it was doing what it was trying to do and uh, a good reference for this is like Super 8 you know that's a movie that bothered you Devendra that's like very consciously trying to be like a Spielbergian sci-fi drama and this movie I never felt like I could separate my emotion of knowing what it was trying to be with what Mm -hmm. it actually was and so as a result I never really got a visceral reaction from Eleven and her displaying her powers, except maybe towards the end when she like made that car flip mm-hmm. over. I think, but it's the whole about- the whole time it felt like it mm-hmm. felt like oh, here is a child actor who is being told to act in a very <laughs> stilted Aww. and uh, and kind of consciously odd way. I never got lost in that performance. I mean, um, it, it, the difference between this and Super Eight though is that you get to spend time with these kids and with uh, yeah with all of the actors too. And for like, yeah, it does start out like, oh, she she's the weird potential child, like with with superpowers or something. But I the moment where she escapes and she just like is trying to survive in this diner and this one guy like shows her a bit of kindness and gets killed for it. Like I I immediately empathize with her in her struggle and whatever she's going to. And uh, the movie the show doesn't shy away from like the horrific things she's done too. Like this is a child who's killed. Many, many people. And by the time the series is over, like dozens of people. Viciously. I, I think yeah. one of the things that's great about that performance uh, is like the, the transformation from the beginning to end. You know, like the, it's clearly a different character at the end of the show than it is at the beginning. And so mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge that that is a huge accomplishment. Uh, but at the same time, it felt like, oh, here's a character who can talk when the plot demands it and it's sure, sure. very inconsistent as to like oh sometimes she just doesn't respond maybe because she's scared and oh but now we need her to give this crucial information so now she's talking it felt inconsistent to me and not in a way that felt organic it felt the way like, she sold it though like i like i don't think she we've seen many child actors be in movies like this in like uh you know sci-fi type things where they're maybe a little smarter than all the adults or something like they're just a little overly precocious and this girl like she uh millie bobby brown she sells the uh 
the like uh, vulnerability of this character. Like she is afraid a lot of the times, and the joy of her like solely experiencing things in this world. I just I just feel like she sold like what she was trying to do. Her love of waffles. I start to love the yeah, fact that that was she that was kind of cool. That, that you know, it's cool that each of the kids gets kind of. Uh, their own character and their own characteristics and, and they get to kind of uh, play that out over time. And the, the interactions between the kids felt mm-hmm. very spot on to me. Th- those are the only two performances that I really didn't care for. Uh, you know, Eleven and also the Winona Ryder character. I thought every other performance in the show was amazing. Uh, and, you know, right down to Barb who plays the unfortunate friend <laughs> Barb is great uh, you know like all the way to the the three to four kids you know you only really see three of them and David Harbour a character actor who's finally getting his due he's in Suicide yeah. Squad as well uh, yeah. but he's been in kind of little bit roles usually playing a very unsavory person you know his face yeah um, but uh, he's awesome in this show and probably uh, my favorite element of the whole series so guys mm-hmm. let's talk about the ending um what did you not like about it? Because I was very moved by it, you know, when Will comes back and he's in the hospital bed and uh, Eleven kind of vaporizes the monster creature with her mind. And, you know, all that stuff, I was like, oh, man, this is what this all has been building up to. I was a mm-hmm. huge fan. Um, Jeff Kanata, what was your problem with the ending? I I felt like the the collision of all the, the different parallel tracks uh, – was and I anticipated it. I was looking forward to it. I just didn't think it lived up to my expectations. I wanted a little more answers. I wanted uh, to understand. I mean, it's a monster because it's a monster, right? Right. Um, it's a scary place because it's a scary place. Uh, they're after eleven because they're after eleven, right? It, there's there's no actual resolution to anything. We get we you know we get. Um, What's his name? Mike, the the kid that was taken. We get him back, Will, right? And Will, I think, is it Will? Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it's Will because they say that name like 500 times. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, it's been it's been longer since I've seen it than you guys. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, and and I felt like we lived in that place. I, I don't know. It, just, it 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 didn't feel satisfying. It didn't feel <laughs> as. Um, I didn't get a sense of of what all of that was for, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, why was he taken? What what was happening to him during that time? I just wanted more payoff, right? You know, yeah, that makes sense. Devendra, you agree? Yeah. I I mean, I I'm a little less disappointed in the ending for those reasons. I actually think I enjoy the fact that uh, the the show doesn't give us all of that information right you have just enough like there's this government facility they're researching all this stuff they make a discovery of some parallel universe and there's stuff there that they're trying to explore they don't quite know uh i would have liked to know more about like what they were trying to do by recruiting these kids which is 11 and a whole bunch of other you know it sounds like a whole bunch of other kids uh that's the sort of thing i want to know more about i think the grander mythology uh, i i like that they gave us little bits to sort of connect together um for me it just feels a little pat at the end like i I feel like yeah of course the entire thing leads up to 11 sacrificing herself um and of course we find barb just there dead uh with a very little explanation or anything about what happened to her like a lot of things just happen as you'd expect them like yeah they get will and like oh man he, he has a little bit of the the other side in him or something um those are, it's basically a lot of what I expected, and I wish it had surprised me a little more. Right, it did wrap up quite conveniently. Like, well, yeah. th- these awful 
things have happened in this town and like what how what are the consequences of that you know mm-hmm. you don't really see them you see david harbour get into a car he's made some kind of deal with the government uh and that's about it you know like you you and also will is obviously a little bit changed and of course 11 is still alive somewhere out there that's presumably why david harbour is leaving food there right, right. yes i, can yes. Assume. There, I so, mean and yeah of course also she's dead but not dead because yeah, we we you know that's just kind of how these things go. And I think the ultimate betrayal though is Nancy going with the asshole dude. <laughs> well, he's not an asshole dude anymore. Yeah, he's sort of. He's sort. I mean, it, he was brave once, sure. That does not. Does that really? Uh, well, he also I guess he, he went back to the house to apologize for. And he also yeah. he, he wanted to remove the the nasty thing at the movie theater, Marky. <laughs> yeah. That he let yeah. his friends write. Yeah. Yeah. So you know he's he's learned some lessons. Yeah. I I actually enjoyed the head like I enjoyed the head fake. I think it's supposed yeah. to be purposefully frustrating. And Devendra, come on, where are they going to go season two if uh, her and the weird kid are together this season? You know, if she doesn't so. have to be with anyone, like she's an independent girl, strong independent woman. Yeah, she um, do whatever she wants. True enough. I, I was really, ho- as I said last last week, I, I was really hoping that uh, this was an anthology series, and we were just done with this story. And then Stranger Things season two was a different strange thing happening. But I, I, I don't need to see these characters more. I really right. don't. I feel like this is a complete thought, even though I, you know, I feel like the answers weren't answered. I still feel like this was a complete thought, and I don't need, I don't need more of these kids doing the same thing. I mean, I hope a season <laughs> two is equally entertaining. And like I said, I. I probably sound a little more negative than I actually am because I really enjoy that. I think it's really good. And all of that 80s-ness in it is so satisfying to watch and so fun. Mm-hmm. It pulls on my heart in all the right ways. But I kind of felt like, okay, we did it. These these kids, they did it. They did their adventure. They don't need to have another season of adventures. It's definitely, like I think, the most perfectly paced uh, Netflix production, right? Because a lot of them... I'm thinking of like Jessica Jones and stuff, like where I love so much of it, and then oh my god, you went on for three episodes longer than you should have. hundred percent on Jessica Jones. Eight episodes here feels. I don't know. I felt like I could have lost one or two episodes myself, but yeah, well, maybe, maybe even that. I think eight episodes just feels like a little bit of restraint coming from Netflix. I think before their command, like the commandment, was to actually make every show thirteen episodes or something. Mm. Like so, I like that they're relaxing those rules a little. And I hear what you're saying, Jeff, that it would be nice to see them try something new. Uh, at the same time, I think all these characters are just so well-constructed. I would love to see a little more with them. And anthologies are kind of like the thing de jour right now. But as we saw with like True Detective, uh, where everyone loved the first season, and then they tried to like recreate that magic with completely new characters and stuff, uh, you can't help but compare that second season to everything great you know, mm. that you left from the first season. True. And I like these characters enough that I would like to spend more time with them. True Detective was like kind of more of like a final thing. Uh, whereas there's so much potential for stories with these kids. I did like uh, at the very end, there's that little meta pit, bit that they uh, they mention about like, what about all the dangling plot lines? Like the the yeah, Lost yeah. Night and all that. And it's referring to actual plot elements in the in the actual series. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. clever. Um, I want to ask two questions. It was questions. clever, but it, it, <laughs> A little too it was kind of my exact criticism. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to like, say... Yeah. Don't just you know, mock my criticism of your show, you know, because you know that it's a fair <laughs> criticism. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we get it, but it's like, okay, you get it, but it's still not doesn't make it untrue. I want to say two more things about the show. One is, we should point out like what a freaking remarkable accomplishment this is coming from mm-hmm. these two guys who 
I don't think prior to this you know year any of us on the Slash Filmcast had ever heard of. Yeah. And they uh, apparently had made a movie that was hasn't been released yet. They made a movie called Hidden. They worked on Wayward yeah. Pines. The Duffer Brothers. They're 32 years old, you know, and they have made something that is the biggest hit of the summer, probably better than most movies that we're watching this summer because this has been a pretty freaking rough summer season. Uh, Movies written and made by much more seasoned uh, filmmakers, you know, that these guys have bested uh, with Stranger Things on Netflix this summer. And that is like, that is a triumph and Mm -hmm. uh, an accomplishment that needs to be acknowledged. So triumph of these dudes and also this business model, right? Like they, they were basically rejected by Hollywood with their first movie, just from what I've been seeing. I I think after this, I'm sure Netflix or someone's going to pick it up and kind of re-release it from the people who brought you Stranger Things. These are, these guys are going to go really far from this point forward. So yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, if you want to be uh, if you want to be amazing, you, you better hope you have a brother, because uh, <laughs> I mean I love I love my sister, but man, I, the Cohen brothers, mm-hmm. the yeah, there's so many brothers. So like, They're all doing the g- amazing things. Um, I want so, brothers or, or or siblings, the Wachowski siblings, siblings, you know. Um, well, they, yeah, right. So uh, the one thing I want to ask you was, what was your favorite uh, movie reference? Because there are. You know, there's been video essays side by side, like that's yeah. referencing all these other movies. What was your favorite reference? Mine was Under the Skin, which is a movie that not that many people have seen, but so eighties. But it's like, whoa, like what the hell? Like this movie's referencing Under the Skin, um, and I'm referring, of course, to the scene when she's kind of immersed in the sensory deprivation tank and sees the monster there, and it kind of like ends up polluting our world from there. Uh, but that whole like black pool world looks exactly like Scarlett Johansson's house yeah. and under the skin. Uh, kind, of, kind of taking a different uh, time period, I guess, from uh, all the other influences of the show. But sure. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of weird and also much more mature. Um, but, I, uh, love the, uh, I love the, the E.T. stuff just because so much of what the 80s were to me and because of how, what I, how old I was in the 80s, uh, it, and, and E.T. taps into it perfectly with its sort of you know suburban... Um, milieu is your bicycle equals freedom. You know, by right. having a bicycle as a kid right. is in, at least in the eighties. I, I think now it's less so because kids have cell phones and stuff. But uh, you know, it, it, it that was the freedom. That was how I saw my friends. That was how we had adventures. It's because we could get on a bicycle and go anywhere. And ET was that magical thing of like, yeah, we're not only are we on a bicycle, but we can beat the cops because we're on a bicycle. You know. The cops can't follow us, and then you know ET can make us fly. And the fact that this movie taps into that fantasy really, really, you know, made me feel great. How about you, Devendra? Any favorite reference? Uh, I mean, I don't. I kind of like the way the whole teenage segment evokes the uh, slasher horror stuff, and it's really interesting to see how it kind of coexists too with everything else. I think that that's probably one of the more difficult things to balance. How do you balance slasher horror with? Spielbergian wonder. Exactly. You know, I was yeah. uh, seeing Matt Singer, film critic, uh, tweet about this today about how this movie is this uh, series. I keep saying movie because it mm-hmm. feels like a movie, but the series is supposed to be comforting because of how it evokes this nostalgia, eighties films, Stephen King, Steven Spielberg, all this stuff. But at its core, it's a horror film. You know, it's like yeah. a horror yeah. story, and it's supposed to be scary, and it's supposed to be horrifying, and how do those things coexist with each other? 
And I always felt like there was this an uneasy tension between those two elements that mm-hmm. I want to be comforted by the show. I want to be, you know, lulled into, you know, like my childhood by the show. But I'm also really freaking scared about what's going to happen with these kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I don't know how the show reconciled those two things. I mean, ultimately, I think it, it clearly works. Mm-hmm. But um, it did feel like a very precarious balance that the show was trying to For make sure. uh, that I was very worried about whether it could you know, make it all the way to the end. Uh, I, I kind of appreciate that balance, too, because I uh, personally like I have this, I don't know, worry or concern that a lot of the things I loved growing up that other people just won't pay as much attention to now. And I feel like every generation has this. But this is something at some point I could sit down with like my younger cousins and maybe watch this before their year, you know, they're appropriate in age to watch it. But something that'll just kind of get their minds working in ways like having watched a lot of horror movies and Spielberg movies in the 80s, like just have that same sort of influence and that same sort of wonder and fear. Uh, that's kind of why I enjoy watching horror movies. I've been watching them since I was a kid. Um, and I love that the show kind of balances all those elements. So now instead of saying, okay, you gotta, you gotta watch all these things and they may not be great, but you know, check it out for the, for the 80s. So you know what that era was like. I think the show does a good enough job of evoking all those elements where it may get more people into it too. Last question. Yeah. Last question, uh, which is, did you guys have like a favorite moment from the show? Because uh, I, I distinctly remember mine. It was episode three, and I was pretty unsure as to whether I'd finish the show, just because I just could not stand the Winona Ryder character, and I was like, <laughs> I can't. I I don't know if I can continue. And uh, but episode three was so transcendent because firstly there was a whole thing with the lights going on in the mm-hmm. background mm-hmm. Uh, while like Will's mom was in the room and Will's sister was there and she's playing with all these lights and that moment was just like wow super cool super crazy where you see them like shallow depth of field out of focus in the back and like lighting up looked amazing and the way that episode ended with them finding Will's quote unquote body and mm-hmm. you know uh, Winona Ryder's kid is embracing her while these cop cars are uh, driving rapidly towards her house with sirens on then smash cut to black while Peter Gabriel's Heroes plays in the background uh, that was a transcendent moment and that's when the show was like hooked me and I was like okay I'm gonna go to the end with the show because like yeah. that was so good that you've earned the rest you know of the four to five hours that it's gonna take and the logic of the kids in that moment too is like y- you guys you gotta keep the party together because, you know, was it that moment? Or no, we just have to go back and get him. I think that was it. Whatever unifying, big, heroic feeling that they got uh, made me love those kids, even though they knew they were riding into danger. Any I'll, fav- tell, you, yeah, I'll tell you what my favorite character is. Who? It's, it's that dad, that, like, <laughs> feckless dad who, you know, just completely oblivious to everything. I just – he's such a <laughs> – perfect character right, and whoever right. they, that actor is is just knocking it out of the park for just <laughs> being so dad you know like he norm just core, total normal core yeah norm core yeah full on it is <laughs> yeah i every moment he was on screen i was like yeah you just read that newspaper and be befuddled by what is going on about you it's great 
How about you, Devendra? Any favorite moments, and then we wrap it up. Uh, today? I'm trying to think. I think the point where the the teens, like towards the end, where they just like build up the house to try to trap the monster, yeah. and very like straw dogs moments, like oh, this, this is awesome, and then oh, here comes the asshole, and he's a part of this fight now too, and I, that whole thing coming together was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's super fun, and uh, the kid, like the kid, is just like what's awesome about that scene <laughs> is Steve, right, the would be boyfriend, yeah. is in like a completely different movie. <laughs> Right, he's banging on the door. He's literally in a different movie where he's trying to win this girl back. He has yeah. no idea about the freaking monster, and uh, seeing those worlds kind of collide, I just thought was a delight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, a lot of great things. Any closing thoughts you guys want to share about this uh, series before we wrap it up today? It's I love definitely the music. A, yeah, yeah, music was great. Opening credits was great with the flickering. Yeah. You know, they're going to uh, do titles. a full score soon too. I think so. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, any any other thoughts, Devendra? I don't know. It's it's just really encouraged me to go back and revisit a lot of these, a lot of the things that influenced it too, and it makes me want to go back and read Stephen King. So that's a good thing. That's that's a sign of it being effective. Do you guys think that it is to the '80s sort of what Quentin Tarantino is to the '70s? That's kind of one of the things that I found a little dissatisfying. Is like I feel like Quentin Tarantino takes those old things, uh, those tropes, those stylistic choices, those art character archetypes, uh, and makes a new thing out of them. I agree. And I never felt like this was a new thing. I, I felt like it was a greatest hits you know, tape that I was listening well, to. Not even that. I just felt like somebody unearthed something from that time. Right. Rather than somebody taking those that stuff from that time and – layering something fresh on it like Quentin Tarantino does um, and that's it, it has it, its own joys but it didn't feel as revelatory as something that he you know, he'll, he'll take that grindhouse style or that those 70s aesthetics or, and, and he will infuse them with such a new vision and a new life that it it becomes something altogether original and this mm-hmm doesn't feel original it feels authentic and it feels as satisfying and fun in a certain way but it's not it doesn't feel like oh my gosh what if the 80s was a completely different thing you know right i I think uh that's kind of one of the reactions that's been difficult for me to handle jeff is just that you know we all really liked stranger things uh but I don't know that I really loved it, and it feels like That's everyone, feel, yeah. everyone really loved it, and everyone's like, "Well, what? You guys on the Slash Filmcast? This thing was like made for you guys, right?" right. And maybe it. That's part of the reason why we don't love it is because it feels a little bit too self-consciously like it was made for. Yeah, but you know what? Like, despite my feelings around the ending, I do think I love the overall experience. Sure, and sure. I guess so. Comparing, yeah, you're probably a little hotter on it than than we yeah. are. Um, comparing but, it to Tarantino is very different, right? Because what he does, he does remix, right? He's remix culture, dude. And he puts mixes a lot of elements to create new things, like you're saying. But to create something that feels like it was actually pulled and yanked from that moment in time, uh, that's an accomplishment of its own. It's just very different from what Tarantino does. True. And honestly, like we give Tarantino a lot of credit, but like that dude, he did, when he lifts, he lifts whole hog sometimes. Like some elements, some you know shots, some ideas, music cues, you know, yeah, yeah. The way Reservoir Dogs is basically a copy of what City on Fire, you know, like maybe, so. Yeah, so maybe maybe it's that. just because he lives from more obscure things, and yeah. uh, and that's why it feels less kind of. Uh, less it feels fresher. Yeah, it feels fresher. Maybe I, I I'm not sure, but 
Yeah, Jeff, I just I feel like there's this kind of disparity between what everyone else's reaction is and what our reaction is, and I'm trying to tease out like why that might be the case. I, I'm right there with you, Dave, yeah. and I, I've been feeling that a lot because so many people, as we talked about last week, we had this overwhelming response of people like, you guys have to watch this. You guys have to talk about this. I really want you to talk about it. And then last week when I kind of said, well, I, you know, I think it's like an 8.5 out of 10. People were like, why do you hate it? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet that was like, oh, yeah, I just expected you to love it more, Jeff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And uh, I feel kind of the same way. I feel like, oh, this this thing is like kind of genetically engineered uh, to make me like it. But uh, I I don't love it, and uh, part of that is what we've already discussed, you know. Um, and maybe part it's of it is really like good. It's, it's a really con- yeah, good. and that's the thing. I don't want to discount that it is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we enjoyed it. Uh, Devendra loved it, uh, but u- ultimately, I think there, we found a significant number of problems with it, and uh, that kept it from being like a transcendently amazing series yeah. for at least me and Jeff. Uh, would I watch the second season? I think this, the first season was good enough, uh, just even purely on aesthetics alone, that mm-hmm. I would check out what also, they have in store. Dave, like, come on. It is really hard to get you to watch new TV or series. It is <laughs> incredibly hard, like teeth-pullingly hard. The fact like, that you watched this whole thing, that's impressive. He has objectively terrible films to watch. <laughs> uh, on, but, on his cycle. Yeah. yeah. Can I uh, – are you guys – have we already talked about this? Are you, are you guys watching uh, The Night Of? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like that show in a lot of ways ha- is doing kind of similar things in the sense that it's, it's taking a lot of disparate shows that were their own sort of unique things and mashing them all into one experience. You know, like it's, it's Oz and it's Law and & Order and it's, you know, it's, it's doing sort of all of the shows, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's I think there are parallels to what uh, Stranger Things did and what Night of is doing, and I I just find Night of to be a really much more powerful experience. Even though again I love Stranger Things, I, I'm much more impressed by the Night of right now. Well, also the Night of kind of, the, the Night of has like stuff to say about exactly. society and our justice system and and our perception of race and you know. Like it just it feels a show of more import than Stranger Things, which feels more like yeah. a a pop culture confection. Uh, right. that I, do, you, I do have to say though, guys, come on, this show has a lot to say about the idea of alternative universes true. and the horrors <laughs> that may lay beyond. Them. And the, u- and the <laughs> usefulness, the usefulness of Dungeons and Dragons. There you uh, go. Yeah, there you go. Life skills. When when yeah. you when you're spending six hours, and I love that too. Like you guys were playing for six hours. Um, that's <laughs> yeah. that's what happens when you're playing a tabletop RPG. You just lose a whole day. But that is, those are life skills, kids. So Truth. tell your parents that when they complain about it. Um, it's funny because I'm a little bit on the other side of the night of i really like it uh but there are elements of it that feel too constructed to me so i guess we're we've kind of flipped a bit here jeff interesting mm. yeah uh i do think that uh, we talked a little bit about the night of last week Devendra, but yeah mm-hmm. uh despite its flaws you know that speak of speak about like self-conscious and like a show that is yeah. you know self-consciously directed and wants to show like why am i using the form of cinema to convey this or video or film whatever you want to call it uh the night of is definitely that uh and and feels like every shot is purposeful it feels like they storyboarded the entire series 
Yeah. Uh, and every single shot for the night of. I'll tell you, if um, the feet don't end up being important, I'm going to be pissed off. <laughs> the feet represent our intractable justice uh, system, Devendra. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I've heard that. Did you not, did you not pick that up? Times. I've you, heard it. You know what, Devendra? Yeah. We, we all have an itch we can't scratch. See? <laughs> all right, guys. This, this podcast <laughs> yeah. is over. Uh, thanks for listening to our review of Stranger Things. I uh, hope you got something out of it. And we'll see you guys next week with Suicide Squad. Can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Thank you.